Hello everyone and welcome back. Every year as the holidays creep ever closer and Mariah Carey creeps on the horizon like a vengeful eldritch god, I start to get itchy. Like, really itchy. You see, nearly eight years ago, my husband and I made a commitment to live more sustainably. Mind you, that road is windy, full of potholes, a few highwaymen, and maybe a rabid bear or two. But when the holidays roll around, the road suddenly looks like it was hit by a Category 5 hurricane, and an avalanche, and a fire tornado, and why not an earthquake as well? Long story short, every year around this time, when consumption of goods is at an all-time high, I look for every way I can to slow it way down and reflect. And listen, I'm not going to tell you to become a mountain hermit and never give anyone gifts ever. My outward love language is gift giving, and it would be wildly hypocritical to tell everyone that they couldn't give gifts. So for the months of November and December, I'll be using these little breve episodes to inspire a mindset shift by introducing you to wonderful creators who employ a slow, handmade, mindful approach to their goods. I'll throw some sustainability tips your way, and maybe a few statistics to encourage you to reevaluate how you approach the season. And to start this series, I have a lovely guest today, and she is here to talk about her approach to her zero waste business. Katya is the creative mastermind behind Drop Forged Needles and makes her products out of secondhand fabric, scrap fabric, and a whole lot of love. She was kind enough to walk me through her process and share a little bit about the struggles and triumphs she has had on this journey. So without further ado, Katya, welcome to oh. the Wild Brood Brevet episode. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited, also very nervous, but uh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Nothing to be nervous about, I promise, I promise. Um, so tell me, what inspired you to make this zero waste business? Because this is something very unique. I've never seen anything quite like it before. So, okay, so kind of a long story. I grew up crafting. Uh, my mom had a sewing machine that I uh, took and taught myself how to sew. Um, I was an avid cosplayer way back when. And so my biggest issue with sewing has always been how much waste there is. It kind of comes with the nature. You have to cut things on grain. If you have curves, you get a lot of scraps. And fabric is very expensive. So that it was always kind of a struggle, you know, using my limited allowance to, you know, all this money on fabric for cosplay. In college, I kind of moved away from sewing. I couldn't really justify the cost and the wasting of the fabric while I was in college. I did my degree in history. My senior project was um, partially on historical clothes and then how we see in media and how it affects our remembering of the past. And so through my research, I found um, somebody who's very well known, Bernadette, Bernadette Banner, pardon me. Um, I love her. I know, she's, she's fantastic. She opened my eyes to like the world of like, there's actually people who are super nerdy into like historical garments. I had no clue before I found her videos. And so I actually watched her video, I think she was making a bum roll, where she used scraps to stuff her bum roll. It's called cabbage historically. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. She's actually using all the waste that she produces. And I was like, you know, if I ever get back into sewing, that's what I want to do. I just thought it was amazing that there's somebody else who values what most people, most crafters would throw away. So I got married, started working a normal job, and kind of got back into sewing. Um, my mother-in-law also sews, so that was kind of a shared interest. Um, I would use a lot of her scraps to make stuff. And it just kind of got to a point where uh, my health was declining. 
had to put sewing on the back burner again till my dog needed a new bed. She doesn't like store-bought beds, I found. <laughs> um, she's very picky. She would choose to lie on a pile of my clothing over the nice bed that I bought her from the store. That tracks. So I did some research, and I found a pattern that I really liked. Uh, my dog is a Shiba Inu, and she likes to curl up, and I couldn't find a, like, a good round bed that I thought she would like, so I decided to try making my own. Again, I used my mother-in-law's kind of cast-off fabric. They had a couch that they were going to get rid of that I harvested the stuffing from. I used her scraps and some clothes that were too kind of old, and I couldn't donate them, so I cut those up, stuffed the bed, and I found that it actually made a really nice bed. It was super firm and dense, and uh, she, my dog loved it. She's actually sleeping in it right now. So yeah, and then I just got some comments, oh, you should sell these, and I'm like, there's no way in hell I could you know, do a business while I'm working a full-time job with, you know, my health declining. And then so ultimately with my health, I got accepted into this wonderful pain program by this healthcare provider. It's called Mary Free Bed. It's a multidisciplinary kind of rehabilitation program. It's 10 weeks, very intensive. You work with many, many healthcare professionals. I was feeling really, really low one day after, after one of my sessions. I, we weren't getting anywhere. I was like, you know, I'm going to go to a thrift store. Don't have a lot of money. Just going to go to a thrift store. Um, I found one that was open, and I discovered that they had so much fabric and so many crafting supplies. I was like, this is amazing. I had never seen a thrift store that had so much fabric. So I kind of logged that in the back of my mind. And so about once a week, I decided if, you know, I felt up for it, I would treat myself to, to going to the thrift store. And I discovered that just the fabric just kept coming and coming and coming. Like, I literally couldn't buy all the fabric that they had in stock. Uh, I think the first time I went to this thrift store, I came back in tears, happy tears to my husband. Like, Mark, my husband's name is Mark. They have so much fabric. They have so many tools. I can afford to get this. I was so happy. <laughs> Getting things for a bargain is my favorite thing in the world. It is mine as well. And I think it's just one of those things like I look at these thrift stores and how much stuff is in them. And mm -hmm. then I look at like big box stores and I'm like, why, if you had the option, why would you ever go mm -hmm. to a big box store? If your thrift store is literally right there. And if I'm completely honest with you, 99% of my clothes are thrifted because yep, I am a walking tornado and I will ruin it. We just go in, go into that knowing I'm going to ruin it. So that's amazing. So you're going to these thrift stores and mm -hmm. you're just coming back with these absolute like hauls of amazing fabrics. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, also just to add on to that, I, I love, so being an ADHD or myself, I hobby hop a lot. And I love that I can try out different hobbies for such a low cost. I got into hand embroidery because they had so much embroidery stuff. So like I can give it this a shot. Um, and it's, yeah, I, I love thrift stores. I I preach that, you know, just thrift, just it, before you go to a big box store, just go to the thrift store and see if you can find it first. You and I are very same in that, that process of thinking. So at the point where you're like, you know, you're coming home with all this fabric, did that inspire you to have confidence to start the zero waste business? She's like, oh my gosh, I can, I can actually afford to do this because I know, and you know, that business startup mm -hmm. is not only like physically expensive, but it's also mentally very taxing. Mm -hmm. Everything yes. that goes into running a business is just like, I need to take like a five hour nap daily. Yeah. Yeah. No, no kidding. So yeah, seeing all of this fabric that I could use, it, it, it definitely sparked some like a little inklings of like interest. But again, I was still working a full-time job 
It's like, there's no way I can do both. My boss wasn't very good. She was not supportive of um, me being on FMLA to do this pain program. And she decided to not allow me to go see my family for Christmas um, because she did not approve my holiday request time that I put in before I was on FMLA. So she waited for FMLA to use all my PTO and then told me I didn't have enough and told me I couldn't see my family for Christmas, even though the tickets were bought. So I talked with my husband and he's like, again, he's like, yeah, screw that. You know, we're, we're not going to play their game. I had healthcare providers pretty much telling me that my job was killing me, that I looked like a walking zombie. And so with the help of my husband, I decided to quit my job um, right before I left to see my family. And then when I got back, I would give this business thing a shot. Um, and I told my husband, you know, I don't want to do a business and put so much waste into the world. He's like, well, you have your thrifted fabric. Can you try doing that? It was actually his idea. It's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. There's enough fabric for me to, you know, run a a small business um, off of. And so, yeah, I I quit my job and kind of the rest is history. Um, Actually, last December, we're coming up on a year of me quitting. That's amazing. And just having a supportive partner Mm -hmm. makes all the difference. All right. And now for a fun little Christmas statistic. We're going to start with Christmas trees because the holiday begins and the Christmas tree goes up. If you're like me, it's probably right after Thanksgiving dinner. If you're my sister, it's November 1st. However, doesn't matter. However you put your Christmas tree up, let's talk about them. I've had the same plastic Christmas tree for nearly 10 years. The lights burnt out ages ago, replaced by a string of LED lights, and when I just recently moved, I passed it down to my little brother. This year, my hope is to buy a potted shrub to keep all year long. If you are looking for a tree this year, let's talk about the difference between a plastic tree and a real tree, and which is better if you need a new one. So here's some stats. According to the National Christmas Tree Association, which apparently is a thing, who knew, the U.S. buys 25 to 30 million real Christmas trees every year. Christmas tree farms do provide green spaces and jobs for many small farms. There are close to 15,000 farms growing Christmas trees in the U.S. alone, and over 100,000 people are employed full or part-time by this industry. According to the Nature Conservancy, out of the 350 to 500 million growing on tree farms across the United States, only 30 million of those trees are harvested for Christmas each year. Obviously, real trees are biodegradable. They also act as carbon sinks, and a sustainably managed forest is one of the best things we can do for our environment. On to plastic trees. Obviously, they're plastic. They're not going to biodegrade. Their idea of biodegrading is turning into little microplastics. According to the Nature Conservancy, in the U.S., around 10 million artificial trees are perched just every single year. Nearly 90% of them are shipped across the world from China, resulting in an increase of carbon emissions and resources. And because of the material they are made of, most artificial trees are not recyclable and end up in landfills. Big sad. The verdict? Support your local, responsibly managed tree farmer and opt for a real tree this year. They smell better, they look better, they can biodegrade, and you're supporting your local. What's not to Yes. So you started business mm-hmm. and it's been a year. You've had ample time to kind of like figure out a process that you mm-hmm. follow. What is your process of creation like? Are you now drafting your own patterns or are you still using ones that you've, you're more comfortable with? How long does it take you to make these beds? Like, Yeah, so for the beds, I am still using kind of the basis of the pattern. I watched a video on YouTube of this woman making this round bed. And I've altered the methodology of how I do it to adapt it to make it more economic, fit my workflow, adjusted the sizing for my other patterns like bandanas and the tote bags. I've pretty much made my own patterns for those. I've 
self-taught sewist, so I, I will, you know, watch videos on how other people do things and then adapt my methodology for that. So like, you know, for example, for like making a bed, I will start with thrifted fabric. I go to the thrift store maybe about two to three times a month, depending on how my fabric stores are looking or if I have the urge to just go and shop for more fabric. And then so once I get the fabric home, I will match patterns and figure out what I want this bed to look like. And then I lay the fabric out on the floor and I figure out, okay, what is the most economical way I can use this fabric? Where am I gonna cut out the pieces from so I have the least amount of waste so that maybe I have enough left over to make a bag out of the same fabric or et cetera. A lot of me just on the floor with a ruler, like a mad woman, just <laughs> muttering to myself. Do you ever watch Rachel Makesy ever? Yes. And yes. her floor troll? You're yes. just full on floor troll. <laughs> full on floor troll. Absolutely. <laughs> My back, oh, my occupational therapist would be so mad at me if she saw me on the floor <laughs> punching. Suffering for the art. Mm -hmm, definitely. <laughs> so then I will take notes on kind of my plan of attack. Sometimes I write those notes down. Sometimes I hope I don't forget them and they're in my head. And then I will pre-wash all my fabric just to make sure that it's clean, it's pre-shrunk, all that good stuff. You know, all the dye has, you know, is not going to leak out onto the final product. And then I will test the fabric to make sure it's strong enough. If I think the fabric is a little bit thin or on the weaker side, I will then add a lining to the underside to give the final product some more strength. And then I cut out all the pieces. Well, I iron it. And then I cut out all the pieces. And then I mark out my seam lines where I'm going to stitch, stitch it all up, stuff the fabric, stuff the, sorry, stuff the bed. And then so I use a mixture of polyfill stuffing, Nubot and scraps. So every scrap, every piece of fabric that I have, I put into a bin and maybe about once a week, I will by hand cut it into tinier little pieces of scraps and then mix that with the stuffing. It's very time consuming, but well worth it, I think, for the final product. So then stuff the bed, sew it up, add the drawstring, and then is what I like to call post-production. Once the product is made, I then lint roll it and turn my sewing studio into a film studio with thrifted sheets, thrifted lamps, desk lamps, and uh, a camera that I was gifted a while ago and I take photos. And I edit the photos, take my favorite ones, write a product description, and then throw it up on Etsy. And that's kind of start to finish, kind of how it goes. A bed takes minimum of about four hours to make. As somebody who tried to get into sewing and all I have is like nightmares of seam ripping, I have so much respect for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> seam ripping. My mother-in-law says a pro a an item isn't perfect until you've seam ripped something at least once. <sighs> that is a sage wisdom because it's so true. And I imagine that you've encountered some difficulties with this, you know, whole year-long journey. Mm -hmm. um, do you care to share any of these journeys you've had running a sustainable business? Because I know it's not as easy as running, like, just a... Some of the difficulties, uh, I mean, minor, minor difficulties is waiting for fabric to match. So I'll like find a fabric, oh, this is perfect, but I don't have anything that quite matches. So then I have to store it until I find something that matches perfect and I have enough of the matching fabric. Um, but those are, those for me are very minor. For me, I'd say the biggest difficulties, the two biggest are balancing my, my work life and my health. And then the non-creative aspects of running a business. So for health, um, I'm very open with my health and disability and stuff. Um, I'm very proud to say that I'm a disabled business owner. 
I specifically have two pain conditions. I have fibromyalgia and endometriosis. Oof. That is and the two yeah, punch combo. It is. Um, and then I also have two, I think specifically two different anxiety disorders, episodic migraines, ADHD, and dyslexia. So I have just a cocktail of fun. <laughs> when I talk about my, um, my stuff, because I know we've talked in the past, I always joke that I won the genetic lottery. I'm just like, yay me. Yeah. So, so balancing mm-hmm. your health and business, I'm really curious to see to hear how you do it because as someone who has suffered with stuff that is very similar to yours, I find that that is a huge struggle where mm-hmm. I daily sometimes have to like pull myself away from deleting my entire Instagram mm-hmm. because I feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, or trying to sit down and fill orders or sit down and do art. You know, you, you know. Yeah, I know you know. Yeah. So how are you how are you balancing that? I balance it by really just in the morning taking a hard look at, you know, what am I feeling, listening to my body. Uh the pain program that I, I went through really focused it focused on listening to yourself. Their whole motto is how can you stay true to your values and be healthy? So for me, my values are, and specifically my husband's values that he has for me, is not killing myself to achieve a goal. So uh, some days I will wake up, I'll feed the dog, and I have to lay on the couch for a couple hours. Giving myself the time and the grace to listen to my body. It's not easy. I'm the first to say that I I don't always listen to my body. Sometimes I'm like, no, I'm just going to be stubborn and I'm going to push through the pain. And then I'm forced into recovery mode for the next week and a half. So just listening to my body, giving myself the grace uh, is is really honestly the biggest thing. I think you learning to balance that is really inspirational because I have a feeling that there are a lot of people out there who are dealing with, you know, undiagnosed ADHD, mm-hmm. migraines, you know, and not that that already adds a layer of stress to someone's mm-hmm. life, but to have the courage to be like, I'm going to take control of what I know I can do and mm-hmm. then do what you did. I find that incredibly inspirational. Oh, and so you. that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on the oh, show. Because thank you. the our past talks, I'm like, dang, she, she's, she's got it. So <laughs> just, I just think that's really fantastic that you have found, found something in your life that you know you can balance with mm-hmm. the stuff that you struggle on a day-to-day. And I have to ask, is your product tester, like, the worst boss ever? (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes she just, she up and ignores me. I will ask her something, and she turns her head the other way and just absolutely is not in the mood for anything. I need her to sit for a photo. Nope, I'm not going to do it. I have a couple friends with Shebas, and I'm not convinced they're actually dogs. They're they're a strange mixture between dog and cat. They're something completely unique. I... I love them. They're my, honestly, Shibas were my dream dog growing up. They don't disappoint. You have to be very secure in who you are as a person to have a Shiba <laughs> and just to be willing to roll with the punches because literally every day is different. What are some successes that you want to celebrate with how you run your business, uh, things that you've learned, whatever you want to share? I think my biggest success that I, I have to celebrate every day is just literally just creating the business, um, getting over my fear of failure. Like I said, I have anxiety disorders and there's always just the voice in the back of my head that says, don't even try. Why, why even bother if you're going to fail? Just don't even try. 
And so literally every Instagram post, every product I make is just a little, a little win that I can celebrate. Like, no, I did that every day, just standing up like, no, I'm, I'm not going to give up. I'm not just going to hide in a hall. And I mean, some days, yeah, I will just, you know, kind of give up. But the next day I commit to like, no, I'm going to keep working at this, keep going. And I have to remind myself, most businesses take five years to become successful. Yeah. Um, and I shouldn't, you know, harp on myself for not being successful in, you know, less than a year. And so I think that you celebrating just even a post is huge for people who don't run a business. Um, and then you can tack on to everything else. I don't, I think there's this idea of like a personal Instagram versus a business Instagram, mm-hmm. but like personal, you're just like throwing a picture out into the void, but with mm-hmm. business, especially with how awful the Instagram algorithm has been for businesses, it's just like immediate anxiety. It is. The minute you post. It is. It's, it's so stressful. Oh my goodness. And like, so in high school, when kind of, for me, Instagram was kind of popping up when I was in high school, I was one of those people that kind of turned their nose up to social media. Like I was too, quote unquote, too good for social media. I was focusing on my studies. I only had an Instagram because my friend literally downloaded the app on my phone and created an account for me. Identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. I didn't learn how to do any of this as a teenager. So yeah, it's like, I, I wish I dedicated more time as a, as a young teenager to learning how social media works. Cause now as an adult, it's like, oh my goodness. It not only is it like more stressful than a personal Instagram, because my business literally depends on me being good at social media and man, it is, a, it's a steep learning curve and you feel so awkward posting stuff. Cause it's like, oh my goodness, I feel so cringe doing this, but I have to do this. All right, and now for another break. A sustainable gift idea. Don't want to support slave labor, but still need an affordable gift option? If the person in mind has a pup, of course you can visit Katya's store and buy an adorable handmade bandana. They don't have a pet. Focus on consumable goods. Roughly 18% of gifts were returned in 2021. That's $158 billion worth of gifts. So, like we just talked about, explore your local used bookstore. Find a book that you think the person would like, write a heartfelt letter on the inside cover, make a bookmark to go with it. Maybe grab a chocolate bar to go with it. Maybe paint the edges of the book. At most, you'll spend $10, but the sentimental value will be priceless. Moving forward, what tips do you have for other sustainability-minded creatives? I would say start small and use what you have in front of you. I think... It's not sustainable in itself to make big changes very quickly. We as humans thrive off of small changes over a long period of time. I think for sustainability, the same thing holds true. So I didn't start out, you know, in my sewing journey, just 100% being sustainable and not buying new. I mean, to be honest, I still buy new fabric sometimes, very rarely for my personal use. I think sustainability looks different for everyone. Not everyone has the access to the same resources. So it can be as small as buying a slightly more expensive pair of scissors that you can get sharpened instead of buying a cheap pair and constantly replacing them. Saving your paper grocery bags to turn into like, you know, wrapping or packaging, or I use them for, I use it for pattern paper. And just being kind to yourself. Nothing, nothing in in my opinion is 100% sustainable or eco-friendly. You just can't do it, especially for me at my level of business. Yes, my, my products are zero waste for fabric, but my packaging, when I have to ship things, I still have to use plastic. Mm-hmm. I try to use recycled plastic, but it's still plastic. Um, mm-hmm. My goal in the future is to move away for, from that. 
but it's it's kind of the best that I have right now. And I'm not going to harp on myself or kind of dig into myself for that. So just be kind and just know that those small changes over time are going to be the big impact later on down the line. I love that. That is that's such a graceful answer. It's one of my favorites, I've got to say, just because I think especially for people who tend to be type A perfectionists, they're like, if I'm not perfect right now, then I have failed. And I might as well just uh, go live under a rock because I can't do this. So I love that. And you are so correct. Sustainability starts with a mindset. And so I love. Do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Like you're saying, I think it's super important to, especially during the holiday season, to support small. I'm proud to say that this is going to be my second year of not buying anything off of Amazon for Christmas. That's huge. That's massive. It's amazing. Yeah. So for me, it's like not buying off Amazon, re-gifting. My friends are big book. We're big book people. So, you know, shopping off of places like Abe's Books, secondhand books, getting into the mindset of, you know, buying secondhand gifts is not necessarily cheaper gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, societal ideas of oh it has to be new I love old things I think old things are great that you are so right I think the stigma of regifting or thrifting gifts needs to be removed Mm -hmm. because it's old doesn't mean it's bad especially Mm -hmm. today's day and age when old is usually so much more well-made and meant to last and is higher quality and if you ruin it you won't feel as bad Mm -hmm. (laughs) at least in regards to clothes Katya, your wisdom, warmth, and vulnerability are inspiring. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. You can support Katya by visiting her Etsy store, Drop Forged Needles, and that's all one word, and following her on her Instagram at drop underscore forged underscore needles. Thank you so much for listening. If you love this episode and you want to support the podcast, please like and subscribe. Yes, I have to say that. It hurts member of that there is an Etsy store that I run where 20% of all your purchases go directly to the conservation group of the month. This month that's the Endangered Wolf Center. Thank you so much for listening and remember go outside and say hello to your local crow today.